Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I wanted to bring today, you'll see that it's a very long source sheet. There, the only reason it's long is because I didn't want you to have to flip through an Eitz Chaim. Um, but really, it's just verses from a Chumash. So we're going to, in a moment, go through, and I know that I haven't done the prayers for Israel and all those things. We're going to do them, we're going to do them afterwards. So if you think that I've forgotten, I haven't. But I wanted us to go through how the Haftorah connects to the Torah. We very rarely do that. I know that Rick and Larry have been, do, have been trying to do a little bit of that in their, um, in their podcast. But we very rarely talk about the connections. We either talk about one or the other. And to me, this connection is not only, not only a powerful connection, but is one that I, I think is actually maybe more more prevalent in the Haftorah than it is in the Torah. I find that in the at the end of the Torah story of Joseph and his brothers, that there's something kind of left to the imagination that the Haftorah seems to be picking up on. And now remember, when we read Haftorah, like for example, today, ours is from Ezekiel, we're not reading the entire book of Ezekiel. So it's not as if Ezekiel, the character, was put on this earth to finish the story of Joseph. But I do believe that this part of the Ezekiel story was chosen for us to be able to kind of wrap up that story of Joseph. So we're going to look at verses from both the Haftorah and this week's Parsha. I, I believe I have one or two from last week's Parsha and one or two from next week's Parsha as well in terms of figure uh, finalizing this story of Joseph. So, Rick, if you'll read for us um, verses 15 through 22 of Ezekiel 37, um, and then we'll go through them in English. 15 to 22. Yeah, 15 through 22, yeah. Okay, great. With a blessing or no? No, just, just the reading. Okay. Vayhi dvar Adonai elai lemur ve'atavan adam kach lecha et echad uchtov alav lihuda v'livnei Yisrael chaverav ulkach et echad uchtov alav liyosef et Ephraim Bechobet Yisrael Chaverav Bekaravotam The two sticks Echad El Echad Lecha Le'etz Echad Ve'ayu Lachadim Be'yadecha Bechasher Yomru Elecha Bnei Amcha Lemor Halotagilanu Ma elelach, taber alehem, ko amar, Adonai Elohim, hine, ani lokeach, et et Yosef, asheheb yad Ephraim, veshivte Yisrael, chaverav, natati, Otam alav et et Yehudah, pasitim le'etzechad 
Tayu echad biadi, Tayu etzim, the two sticks. Asher tichtov alehem, Beyadcha leinehem, Bidaber alehem, Koamar, Adonai Elohim, Ine ani lokeach, Epene Israel, Miben hagohim, Asher hachusham, Kibatsti otam is aviv, Beviti otam elad matam, Dasiti otam, Legoy echad baharets, Beare Israel, Umelech echad, Yel chulam lemelech. Below you owed Lishnehe goim, below ye hatsu owed Lishte mamlachod owed. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's, we're going to read through the verses now uh, in English. And my hope is that this is going to be a conversation. So you're going to be able to, if you're comfortable unmuting yourselves, doing so and adding your voice to the conversation. Uh, first, I'm going to read through the verses. And then my question to you is going to be, what does this remind you of? Okay, so just have that in mind while I'm reading through. What do these verses remind you of? The word of Adonai came to me. And you, O human, take a stick and write on it of Judah and the Israelites associated with him. That's one stick. And take another stick and write on it of Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. Bring them close to each other so that they become one stick. I'll use a little bit of a visual here. My dad has these things here, so I'll use them. So bring them close to each other so they become one stick joined together in your hand. And when any of your people ask you, won't you tell us what these actions of yours mean? Answer them. Thus said Adonai Elohim, I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and of the tribes of Israel associated with him. And I will place the stick of Judah upon it and make them into one stick, and they shall be joined in my hand. You shall hold up before their eyes the sticks which you have inscribed, and you shall declare to them, Thus said Adonai Elohim, I am going to take the Israelite people from among the nations they have gone to, and gather them from every quarter, and bring them to their land. I will make them a single nation in the land, on the hills of Israel, and one king shall be king of them all. Never again shall they be two nations, and never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. So what does this make you think of? What does this remind you of? Yes, Jennifer Lowe. Ten Commandments. The, oh, okay, interesting. The, uh, the tablets. Yeah, great. Okay, the Ten Commandments. Having two separate tablets and bringing them together. Great. Barry? Uh, didn't Yaakov use a stick with a sheep, with Levon, spotted sheep? Didn't he use a stick? To, div to divide them all out? Yes. It's possible. I don't remember the stick as a thing, but it, but, but it makes sense that he would. So probably, yes. Yeah. Other, other, Devorah, you're unmuted. Do you want to share something? Well, it also reminds me of a marriage. You take one person and another person from two completely different backgrounds, and they come together 
as one and make one family. I love that. I love that. I love that. It is something that I say under a chuppah all the time, and I did not think about it in this context. So thank you. That's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Other other connections. David, are you moving closer to say something? Yeah. I think you just have to unmute. Does this have to do with um, the reunification, um, like in a messianic era, with um, all the tribes of Israel coming together, reunifying? just like the brothers reunifying. Exactly. So that that is what that's the connection I'm about to make also. But yes, that is that's exactly right that we're trying to see everyone as being at different points and now being brought together and they're using this whether you want to believe that it actually happened or if it was a metaphor mm. of bringing these two sides together and making them into one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Larry. Yeah. All right. So at the risk of going against your teaching, right. first thing I want to say is that Alter mentions that Ezekiel is surely the strangest of all prophets. Yes. <laughs> and that he was actually maybe even mentally ill and other things about him. Hmm. Secondly, we should remember, we probably don't know, that this reading the Haftorah follows immediately the story of the bones. So right. it's half of that very same chapter. Thirdly, Ezekiel lived just at the beginning of the fall of the second temple, mm -hmm. hundred more than, more than a century after the, the first kingdom, the northern kingdom, had already been conquered. Mm -hmm. So all of those tribes, which are the, uh, the, the brothers of, of Yosef, are already gone, either to assimilation or to, to exile. Right. And in fact, the two that he's, trying, that he's talking about, he talks about Ephraim, which Ephraim was the place where Shiloh was, which mm -hmm. was the home of the kingdom of Israel. Mm -hmm. They're already dispersed. And Ephraim, of course, was the son of Yosef. Mm -hmm. When he talks about Yosef and Ephraim, he's talking about the kingdom of Israel. He must have had a memory of them, but it's unclear where they were. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, of course, Judah, Yehuda, who is the hero of our, of our story. Right. So he's trying to reach back into history to bring back a unification that kind of cuts against the story in our Parsha, which is Joseph as opposed to the brothers. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think it's gonna go against my teaching. I actually think that what you're saying is though my thesis is that the Haftorah helps us bring the story together, I think behind the thesis is that the story of our Torah doesn't doesn't say this, doesn't bring them together. We might see that they see one another again, but not to give any spoilers, I don't actually believe that there is such reunification at the end for these brothers. Um, it's still always Joseph against his brothers, but then when we get to this Ezekiel piece, as you're mentioning, somehow we're taking history and we're changing, well, maybe not changing it, but we are reinterpreting it so that we can bring those two together. Yeah, great, Gabriella. Just unmute yourself before you talk. Well, uh, what it also reminds me of, thank you, what it also reminds me of is many corners of the coming to Israel. Sure. In fact, I just read about uh, a um, population, if you will, a group um, from India called the uh, B'nai Israel. B'nai Menashe. B'nai sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, that are coming to Israel, and they're Claim to be from these tribes that were. Oh wow! I have not read that. That sounds yes, fascinating. That was uh, that was uh, times Israel time. 
Yeah. Wow. That's we that's three, we have three thousand. Oh my goodness. That's a that's fantastic. So Judy, I see you. Oh, sorry, Gabriela. What did we say? You know, so so several hundred more have come. We met when we were in India. We met a representative oh, wow. of that, and he'd come from far away. And I'm not, I'm not telling, saying in an airplane. He came on sure. foot. Sure, sure, yeah. Wow. So it's uh, very Judy, gratifying for us having seen him to know that his people are unified now. And of yeah. course, the army is the great unifier in Israel, anyway. So sure, sure. The kids will all be unified. <laughs> Yes, there are many different ways that people find those those commonalities uh, in in Israeli culture, and definitely one of them is going into the army with people that you might not have otherwise known. Um, Judy, I see you. I'll call you in one second. Um, one of the things that I didn't know when I was putting this text sheet together, but that I that I read up a little bit on, is you know Kwanzaa <clears throat> is happening right now, and the the way that Kwanzaa is celebrated is that every I don't know if it's night maybe it's every day every let's I'll call it day every day of the holiday has a specific uh, like virtue that you're supposed to discuss maybe Diane and Larry know more about this than I do but discuss and kind of celebrate around they're nodding they're they're shaking their heads no so, okay I'm just gonna keep going then. <laughs> Um, and the first day is unity. And I thought it was really interesting that, again, I don't know if they calculate Kwanzaa night to night or day to day, but it would be interesting that today we are talking here, not only in our Torah, but also in our learning right now of unity and that there, the African-American culture is celebrating a holiday that today is discussing unity, right? This is something that clearly, and they're talking about, you know, different tribes coming together. It's, it's very similar that when we think about how we, how we want to be as a people, as a nation, as a religion, we're always trying to figure out ways that we can be bringing things together. We don't, we don't like to emphasize separation we like to emphasize bringing bringing things together. So I just wanted to bring a little bit of uh, of cult- cultural relevance into this discussion, even though we're not gonna we're not gonna study Kwanzaa today. But just an interesting an interesting piece to add that just happens to be a um, a coincidence. Yeah, Judy. <clears throat> so the concept of unification and the bringing of the different aspects of the brothers together to form a greater hold and the sum of the parts reminds me of how do you build a mishkan you have everybody bring not a whole shekel but half a shekel Mm -hmm. because my half and your half will create something bigger than our individual parts beautiful beautiful kathy or barry what the the household rosenblatt (laughs) barry so uh, beginning with the, 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 the joke that I'm going to mix up that everybody knows about, uh, two, two, two Jews on, an, on a deserted island, right? And uh, I'll never dive in his shul. He'll never dive in my shul. Um, so we, we have our Jewish traditions all over the world. And um, the Litovs just came up with one. That, that We have the Mizrahim with Sephardim. We have all the subsects of all these. Other, we have all kinds of Ashkenazim. None of us daven in any other shuls. It, it's us. The, the miracle is not God's going to make this happen to us, as Ezekiel's uh, prophecy. It, it, we need to do this. It, it, the miracle will be when we, us Jews, will, will learn how to be brothers and sisters to each other and unify ourselves. 
that, yeah, that's I, the miracle. I think that that's actually what's being said here. And you said it, you said it really beautifully that, you know, it's joined together in your hand. It later then says that it will be in the hand of God, but it first says that you're bringing these sticks together in your own hand so that you can literally feel them coming together. And hopefully then you have inspiration and motivation to do that work yourself. I thank you for bringing that up. Um, yes, Rebecca. Piggyback on, uh, on uh, the Rosenblatt's here, uh, that we Jews do care about other Jews. So in a sense, we are trying to, we, in that we care about Jews who are 9,000 miles away in, in Russia or uh, in the Sudan or wherever they are, we care about them. If there's in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. we try to bring them together and we care about them. It's not, I mean, sometimes I wonder where Christians are being persecuted. Where's the, where's their help? You know, it's, but we care if they, so long as we have Jews, we care about those Jews that are being hurt and we want to help and we do help them. Yeah, Kol Israel Aravim Zebazet, right? We, we help all, we help all people who, who we know are in need. Yes, Rebecca. Um, I wanted to go in a completely different direction. Uh, when you asked what it reminded us of, I was thinking of grafting the, oh. the process in agriculture, which I believe already did exist then, and um, where you take two trees that have a certain similarity, but one has one has certain benefits and the other has other, like one gives a good fruit, the other... Um, has better environmental sort of survival skills and you combine them so that you get a better, a better fruit or a better yield. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what I, that it reminded me of. What, what, one of the prominent words was eights in what Rick read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's talking about the, the stick, right. And that's being translated here as eights, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and such a beautiful way of also thinking about what Devorah brought up, which is the marriage piece, right? That you would take two people or in, in the case that you're bringing up, right? Two trees, one that brings one thing and one that brings another and that together they hopefully make a better product than, than what they have individually, right? And for, wow. for families that choose to have children or, or are blessed to have children, uh, that that that's, that's what parents hope for, right? That they are creating something that brings the best parts of both of them into the world. And, and, all, and also, we know that Yaakov uh, knew about artificial insemination because he has, uh, he, he, <laughs> how he bred the sheep uh, mm-hmm. and, and brought the, their characteristics together to make, mm. you know, improve the deep pool. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I had never, I had never thought about that that far. <laughs> yeah, Joanna. Um, all of a sudden, this thought popped into my head that this is sort of an inverse of um, Brit Benabitarim, right? So Brit Benabitarim, we started with one thing and separated them. And here we're starting with two things and bringing them together. And I just noticed that like the end of this passage refers to a Brit Shalom, and so somehow both Brit Ben and Bitarim with the promise of the, the land for the future. And this is sort of like the opposite end of that, that like, yes, you will be back together and you will get that land. Great. 
We didn't we didn't yet read the Breach Shalom piece, but uh, that's exactly the direction that not, I wasn't bringing up the um, the connection that you brought up, but but the idea of what the Breach Shalom can then can then do for us. So we'll go we'll go back to that in a few moments. Okay, last one, Tamar. Did you want to share something? Um, just the reconciliation of the personal, the familial, with the national which is so part of the story of the Jewish people and also is going to lead us into uh, the next book of the Torah. Yeah. It seems to me that um, we are, uh, define ourselves not only by our own family, but by our, by our membership in the Jewish people. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, Rabbi Shapiro and I, um, recorded our podcast for the next two weeks because he's on vacation so we did this week's parsha on tuesday and next week's parsha on wednesday and so what we talk about for next week's parsha is actually exactly that um because what we see in the burial of both jacob and joseph that they are surrounded by those who make them family which is not just their blood family, but those who have come to be to be their family, whether it's the Egyptians or uh, the community around them, right? That you are bringing together those that make you whole, and that is not necessarily just those who have the same DNA that you that you have. So we're gonna look now into. Oh yes, Larry or Diane, you're both very excited. <laughs> Actually, we both want to say something, but what I'm saying, I give credit to Diane. Okay. She mentioned the story that's from Korach yeah. of all the tribes bringing sticks or rods together. And then Moses took them, and it was the staff of Aaron in the house of Levi that actually sprouted almond blossoms. Right, right, yes. And I want to say one other thing, and that is if you go to the next verse after, if you go to 23, verse 23, nor shall they ever again defile themselves by their fetishes and their abhorrent things. It suggests that in order to have unification, that each has to give up something of, of their individual practices in order to become a unified whole. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and which, as we all know, is very difficult, especially in partnership, right? And and when you bring different pieces of something together to create a whole, it's not just that you can bring all of yourself to to that partnership. You have to bring pieces of yourself, and and other pieces get get shed um, get shed aside. So we're gonna move on. I know that other people have comments, but we're gonna we're gonna move on just so that we don't spend the entire time on this, though though it seems like we could have. Um, I want us to go through some of the verses of the Joseph story and look at where there is separation and where there is the bringing together of the brothers with Joseph. Because as some of you have mentioned, part of the reason that this Haftorah is used for this week's Parsha is because of that, that imagining of these two uh, sides coming together right and as larry pointed out it's it's not really it's not really fair because it's really joseph against everybody else it's not so much so that that there are there are two equal sides but we're going to look at a, for a moment at what the separation is and was there a moment of reconciliation or is it just kind of 
what it is, right? Is it just that they see one another, they're around one another? Is there actually wholeness um, together as one as one nation? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the verses pretty quickly because the idea is not to focus on one verse, but to focus on the general picture you're getting from the verses. But I'll tell you where I'm reading from from if you don't have the source sheet in front of you. So the first verse. The first verse is, the cluster of verses that I'm going to be reading from, is Genesis 44, chapter 44, verse 26 through 29. We answered, the brothers answered, we cannot go down, only if our youngest brother is with us can we go down, for we may not show our faces to the man unless our youngest brother is with us. We, But one is gone from me, and I said, alas, sorry, this is... I have to give a little bit of context. This is Jacob. Okay, Jacob is now saying, I've already lost a son. Don't don't take another one from me. But one is gone from me. And I said, alas, he was torn by a beast, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, meaning Benjamin, and he meets with disaster, you will send my white head down to Sheol in sorrow, meaning you will put me into another state of of depression, of of sadness. So, we see here that Joseph is asking for for them all to be there, right? And that Jacob is basically saying, no, let me keep one because you've already gotten, I've already lost one. I can't lose another. Now, he's pointing out that my dog has been joining us all morning and keeps opening the door to join us. So she's back. Um, <laughs> I keep hearing the door open and close. Um, the the way in which Jacob is describing this is that that Joseph and Benjamin are the two sons that he's kind of the most worried about losing. So he's already lost Joseph. So to ask for Benjamin, it's as if he's going to lose his sons, right? We know there are many others, but he's talking about as if they're going to lose, he's going to lose, sorry, that other son, and then his sons will be gone. So here, too, there is separation, right? He's not allowing for them to all come back together. Chapter 45, verses 1 through 5 say, This is when they've all come down to Egypt. Joseph is in front of them, and he says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone withdraw from me, right? Give me the room. So there was no one else about when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father well? But his brothers could not answer him, so dumbfounded were they on account of him. Right? Their their faces literally dropped. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come forward to me. And when they came forward, he said, I am your brother Joseph, he whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. So I want to take like one or two comments on this. Is this a moment of reconciliation or is there still separation here? Yeah, Rick. Okay. Well, the trope on verse five, there's a separation there. It, it's not, they could have written it any way they wanted to, but they separated the Munach there underneath. And now, so he's pausing. And now he's got a scepter in his hand. He's got whatever. And a little drama there waiting, uh, making the brothers wait a little bit, if you want to read it that way. Al-Teatzvu, da-da-da-da, is the Revia. Um, 
don't be afraid, right? Uh, but the, the now um, is with a comma in the English is good because there's a separation there. Great. So there we see that they're actually making separation, right? That Joseph is separating potentially between time and space, right? Between that's what happened before, but don't worry about it now because right now, first of all, we are together and you see me, you see I'm fine and don't worry about it. God had a plan for why I would be separated from you and that was so that I could save you. Difficult theology, not sure I agree with it, but it's what Joseph is saying. Any other thoughts on this particular verse? I can't see all pages, so that's why I'm... Oh yeah, Barry. Yeah, so in the same vein, uh, Joseph realizes he's, he's enacting, he is enacting the dream mm. that he had had, and yeah. he is living at that level of the dream. His brothers are not at that level. Okay. Great. So, so to go back to the Ezekiel part then and using this dream as another visual, we are still at the stage where these are two different sticks, right? We're at the stage where Joseph is on one and all the other brothers are on the other. We haven't yet put them back together. So we're still two sticks away from, from a unified family and nation here. So now chapter 45 still, verse 15 and then verse 26. So this is first, verse 15 first. He kissed, Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. Only then were his brothers able to talk to him. When I, before I looked at the, um, at the Haftorah, this was what I was going to talk about in a drush. This idea of only able to talk to him is an interesting thing. What does that mean? What, what does that say about their, their nature of, uh, of sibling relationship? But anyway, it does seem to be that this is a moment where those sticks are coming closer together, right? We're coming, we're coming more together as a unified family. Now verse 26, and then Rabbi Lemley, I see you. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Yes, he is ruler over the whole land of Egypt. His heart went numb. Jacob's heart went numb, for he did not believe them. Okay, Rabbi Susan Lemley. But I was going to comment on the earlier uh, the forty-five five because I I think that it's not separation. I think there's a sense of unification that's achieved there through taking a looking at things from God's point of view. Mm. That he Joseph um, takes a higher perspective, and he without getting into free will or anything, yeah. he sees that um, it's all been or he's trying to communicate to them the idea that it's all been for part of a larger scheme of things. And that removes the sense of guilt. He's trying to remove the sense of guilt from them and say it was for a greater good. So I, I, I think it's a very noble and uh, large-souled point of view, really. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I like the idea of thinking about it as kind of an eagle, an eagle's eye view onto what was going on that makes it seem as though the, the way in which things were, were set out to be would be actually unifying. Even if it meant separation first, I think there was, there was at some point, oh, Rabbi Shapiro and I talked about this in a podcast at the beginning of, of Brayshit, I forget why though, um, that sometimes you need separation to actually come back together. And so potentially this is that moment where Joseph is saying, no, no, 
I was sent away, but it was so that we could be together so that I could actually be with you in this moment of, of unification. That's great. I, I like that, uh, that interpretation of it. So verse chapter 46, verse four says, I, God, will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will also bring you back and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So this is God speaking to Jacob about his death and how he will be with him every part of the way. This is the verse that I was talking about with the different numbers, um, with that commentary, and that Joseph will be the person by your side when you die. Now, chapter 49, verse 33. When Jacob finished his instructions to his sons, this is the moment of his death, he drew his feet into the bed and breathing his last, he was gathered to his people. So this is a real moment of unification. And who are his people, right? Are his people like what we're talking about in Ezekiel where all the nations will be together? Or are his people those who he's spent time with in his community? Or are his people his family, which it doesn't say, right? So my guess is that's not that's not what it was meant here. Because it says amav, it doesn't say mishpachotav. So these last two last two pieces, and then I, I'm happy to hear some comments on um, this kind of limbo period between separation and unity. So chapter 50, verses 7 and 8. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the officials of Pharaoh, the senior members of his court and all of Egypt's dignitaries, together with all of Joseph's household, his brothers and his father's household, only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the region of Goshen. When we read this, this last piece here, you get this warm, fuzzy feeling of togetherness, right? They're, they're all back. They came together for their father. But if we read it, deeper into the text, it's unclear, and this goes back to Larry's point, it's unclear that it's really all the brothers or if it's Joseph, Jacob, and everyone else. They're all there. But the fact that the Egyptians are also there, right, did they recognize Jacob as an incredible figure? Did they recognize him as, as um, a leader like we do? Or were they there to console Joseph, who was part of their family, and who, just like we do in modern day grief and Shiva and all of that, we go to be with the living. We go to console the living. So were they there to be with Joseph, or were they there to be with Jacob? And does that, does that bring us a sense of wholeness, or a sense of... There is, there are pieces that are whole, but the family still is separate. Okay, I'm just putting those two out there. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm just putting those two out there. Uh, any any thoughts on th this kind of middle piece here before we get to our last few verses? Yeah, Barry. Well, there, there are a number of things that were, were said, uh, uh, Rabbi. Um, so, um, it, it, Going going back to uh, uh, gather to his people, yeah, uh, uh, it could also be to uh, his ancestors and, and all of the above. Beautiful, and and, and, and which brings back to uh, Joseph, his first statements to his brothers. Uh, I, 
beginning from his position of separation and bringing in the sticks, uh, when he touches each one of them, embraces each one of them, everyone knows when you have like a spark and you touch someone, mm-hmm. you zap. Mm-hmm. Um, so by touching each one, then he's brought everyone into the same level with him. So that sticks have come together by the touching. Mm-hmm. And when, when Yaakov dies, he's gathered, he's gathered together into that same wholeness that Joseph created when he touched his brothers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the Egyptians coming up uh, with Joseph, yes, I never thought of that before as being for his Shiva. Um, but it also to ensure that they come back. Right. Yeah, Devorah. Well, to bring it on a personal level, I remember growing up that my dad would meet someone on the street and say, oh, a Yankel Schwartz passed away. My dad would say, oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember him. I must go to the funeral. It was like this is setting up that going to a funeral is a mitzvah. Yeah. You're doing something for the dead that they don't know about and they can't reciprocate. So that is something that has been like a lifelong tradition in our family mm-hmm. that uh, you pay your respects at a funeral. And of course, that is something that we so miss today, not being able to have a shiva and share memories and be at this specific time when you're there to honor somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's a unifier, right? As yes, so Absolutely. As we know, for so many families and even communities, that if someone passes away who either people have lost touch with or there has been strife with, that often we find that it's those moments of unification uh, yeah. that brings everybody back together. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Joanna. When the word zap was just used, I thought the conversation was going in a whole different direction, which is where (laughs) my mind went, which is all of a sudden I started thinking about that word to kiss and that the showish actually has two meanings. It can be to kiss or it can be a weapon. And my mind also went to the reunification between Jacob and um, Esav and that the language here is very reminiscent. And I'm not as familiar here, but I know that there... There are a lot of Midrashim about like, was it really like an embrace of love or did like Esav bite Yaakov? And um, so I'm just sort of wondering now if like that ambiguity of, you know, was this a true reconciliation? What was happening? You know, in the way that that text is interpreted, you know, does some of that come in here? Yeah, it's a great, that's a great point, right? How much of it is kind of show or the need to do that rather than the actual embrace of, of love and care and, oh, everything is fine in the world. We're all, we're all, we're all good, right? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I've not seen, I've not seen commentaries like the ones that you're referring to um, about his kissing uh, and hugging his brothers, but it's a, yeah, it's a very reminiscent piece and one that, Joseph, without potentially even knowing, takes on that his brother, I'm sorry, that his father once did when he's interacting with his brothers. So you see these these mirror effects of, of their story uh, coming about, even when Joseph potentially doesn't know that that's how, that's how he, uh, his father interacted with his brother. So here are the last few verses, and then we're going to tie it back in with the, with the Haftorah. So these are the last few verses of the entire book of Brashi. Um, 
And it's chapter 50, verses 24, 25, and 26. Um, so we're going to see, uh, again, this is not this week's Parsha, this is next week's Parsha, but uh, we'll see here what, um, potentially what unification is is happening, or what the Torah imagines the unification was at the end here. At length, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die God will surely take notice of you and bring you up from this land to the land that God promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel swear by saying, when God has taken notice of you, you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. These verses are what Rabbi Shapiro and I are going to talk about in next week's podcast, so feel free to listen. You can unpack these verses for days. These are very intense verses that have many different interpretations, many different meanings. You know, you could use a therapist to go into the story of Joseph and they would have a great time with how he's even ending his life in relationship with them. I want to read you one commentary. I brought no other commentaries today. I want to bring one commentary for us to read on this verse, um, uh, chapter 50, verse 25. The meaning of the verse there is that Moses felt that unless he located Joseph's remains and took them with, the entire nation would be guilty of not honoring their oath, the oath being bringing them all together. So it seems to be that our Torah thinks that this is a moment of unity. This is a moment of bringing things together. If we go back to thinking of that image in Ezekiel of bringing two sticks together, it seems to be that our rabbis want to read that into these verses, right? That the reason that Joseph tells his brothers what to do with him once he's died is because it will also allow for the community to come together around him and around one another, as Devorah brought up. But my question is, based on all of these verses and kind of the trajectory of the story here, and knowing what we heard from Ezekiel, is this unity? Is this a bringing together? If we stop here, I'm not talking about if we then go into Exodus. If we stop here at the end of Joseph's life, is this unity? Is this a bringing together? of Joseph and his brothers, of Joseph and a people. Is that what's, is that what we're seeing in this, in this moment here? And I would love to hear your thoughts, yes or no, uh, as to if that is, if that's the connection that we are trying to make between our Torah and our Haftorah. Yeah, Barry. Um, somebody commented earlier discussion that the, 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 the coming together, the bringing together of the, uh, it, it's, it, each, must give up something to make whole. Uh, It's not a miracle that comes down and brings us together. It's we, the parts, each of us must give up part of ourself to make the whole. We don't take care of the other parts. They don't take care of our part. Each of us gives up something to create the whole. So to answer your question, Rabbi, no. Okay. I was going to say, I was going to push you if you didn't give me an answer. I was going to say, so what do you think? Great. Okay. 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 So, so I, while we're unmuted, I'm just, um, 
the I think maybe Joseph the Jacob probably or Joseph, I guess it's, we're talking about Joseph, right? That yeah. Joseph just didn't want to be left behind. Um because there is there is no um at least in the Torah portion, maybe in the um prophets about going and finding his, you know, or his uh bones once they got into Israel. It wasn't it wasn't that um those who stayed on the east side had to go with the brothers, the families, and go find Joseph. It was they had to go fight fight to get in. Mm-hmm. So that that whole scene is sort of, well, you know, you all went, everybody went with for our father. I want I think it's more I want the same vote. I I took care of you. I brought you, you know, I I kept you coming back and I took care of it. I want that same kavod as my father got of everybody going and taking my bones. It's interesting that you say that because this commentary that goes on. Um, I didn't read the, the next part, but but I'll read this next sentence because it's what you're bringing up for us, Kathy, that it says, Joseph had the extraordinary merit that 600,000 men all functioned as his pallbearers, to go back to Devorah's comment about a funeral, throughout the many years they were in the desert until finally they laid him to rest. So the, the fact that we all carried, not we, but you know, the, the people all carried him and that we acted as as bringing those pieces quote together um as opposed to leaving him alone and that that needed to continue and supposedly according to Rabbi Bachia he believes that that did continue because the bones were traveled with the people as if they were they were a unifier yeah joanna there's a difference between Yaakov's death and Yosef's in that Yaakov is almost immediately taken back to Canaan, whereas Yosef lingers and remains um, um, until all the people go. And I think perhaps there, there is a message of unity, like he wanted to rest where his people were. So when his family and his people were in Egypt, he was there with them. And then only when they left, did he go with them um and i don't know i see some sort of message in that difference of yeah Yeah, it's beautiful i think one of the things that rabbi shapiro and i talk about um is that with jacob's death there were all there was like all this pomp and circumstance right with all these different people who were around and when you get to joseph you might not have expected this but joseph is only surrounded by his brothers Right, which is which is interesting because though as you're saying those two deaths are very different and you might expect actually the opposite for each right that Jacob would only be surrounded by his family and that Joseph would be surrounded by the Egyptians for whom they were his adopted family and yet we get here that there is more of this intimacy and this potentially moving forward as a unified un, uh, unified unit that's redundant but you know what i mean as a as a group together um uh, after being being buried and being um uh gathered by his own by his own family Svi, you have your hand up yeah yeah i'm, I'm just looking at the altar uh, footnote right. on the phrase take up my bones yeah. It's a brief one. It says, although Joseph knows that Egyptian science will turn his body into a mummy, 
He still thinks of his remains in Hebrew terms as he invokes his eventual restoration to the land of the Hebrews. In other words, he's not feels he, he sees himself as part of the unified whole, clearly yeah. to the moment of his death, and wants that to be maintained in terms of where he eventually winds up. A hundred percent, and I agree. I agree with Alter and and with your comments on it. I think the the thing that that strikes me is that by Joseph saying that he sees himself as a unifier, is he a unifier? Right. If you say I'm a unifier. Are you are you putting yourself in front of other people and therefore distancing yourself, or are you in fact just taking note of being able to gather people around you? And I don't know. I didn't know Joseph, so I can't I can't ask him what he meant by that. But I agree with Alter's explanation, and I guess that explanation is exactly what's making me think more deeply if that if that um, acknowledgement actually acts as a separator. I don't know. I don't Did know. Joseph died before all of his brothers? Yes, Joseph dies yeah. first, yeah. So, I mean, seems to me that's significant, that he's a lot younger than his brothers, and he yes. has the blessing of divine understanding, yet he dies before all of his brothers. So this is disunifying, because his brothers are all unified, and he's singled out, being much younger than his brothers, to die before his brothers. Yeah. It's odd to me because normally the youngest doesn't die first. True. He's not the youngest, but he is closer to the youngest yeah. than the others, for sure. And he, yes, the rabbis have a very good time talking about why did he have to die first. And you're right that they see it as a unifier and they see it as a way for the, bro the brothers to be able to come together around him. And again, similar to what I was saying to Tzvi, is that, is that, is that not a unifier, right? Is that actually proving more distance uh, than not? Larry and then Jennifer. So I'm gonna go back to answering your question. And my answer is not necessarily, but it's part of the ebb and flow of unity and division. So what do I mean by that? We're talking about whether this death was actually a unifying event. Yeah. So think about families, for example, where people come together in the event of a death of a, of a matriarch or patriarch or whatever it is. Yeah. But very often the story shows them splitting apart thereafter. Mm -hmm. Think about nations where people come together in the face of some traumatic action, mm -hmm. maybe a 9-11 type of action or a war. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take too long till the divisions split them apart again. So I don't know where, where I would go with this in terms of this particular story. But in terms of Ezekiel, um, this, this ebb and flow of unity and division seems to be a normal fact of life of families, of ethnic groups, of nations. And as Gabrielle pointed out, it's, it's a fact of life of, the, of, of, of Jews. Mm -hmm. And the only remarkable thing about us is not that we are split at times or almost at all times, but that we actually managed somehow to come back together. And even in our coming back together as in Israel, we have these deep divided splits. Yeah. So they actually coincide as well as ebb and flow. Great. And Jennifer, I'm going to call on you and then, uh, 
and then I'll wrap up. I just want to, Rabbi Quigfeld often speaks about Tamei and Tahor as two sides of a, of a line that when you bring them together, they're actually touching, right? That there's a very fine, fine distinction between Tamei and Tahor, which are seen as opposites, but that if you actually look at what they are, they're not really opposites. They just give opposite opportunities. And so when we're talking about unity and, and separation, I think about them, especially in how you just described it, Larry, as not necessarily separate on a spectrum very far apart from one another, but actually there is a hairline fraction between the two that if we are together, we need to work very hard to remain on the other side of that fraction before we become uh, distant from one another again. And so seeing these two these two things in parallel to one another is all that more uh, powerful because you need to work at keeping a group together, keeping a group unified, or else it's very easy to become, as you said, like right after 9-11, right, not right after, but after 9-11, it was very easy for us to become a fractured country again. So thank you for bringing that up. Jennifer, wait, unmute first, unmute, unmute, unmute. There we go. Um, you know, I found this last part, um, if I, if I get anything from this, it's Joseph holding himself apart from everybody. Um, I am about to die. God will surely take notice of you, not sort of an us or B'nai Israel, and bring you up from this land that he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, almost not taking any place in this, uh, uh, in this uh, family. Um, and so I find that actually quite striking that he, he starts, you know, he's sold into slavery. We have the coming together, the going, you know, whether they became a whole or a part, but it would seem here that um, he, he's uh, putting himself again, sort of separate, not above, but separate um, from the uh, life of his brothers. Right. And to go with that, with, with kind of the trajectory of what we've heard now from Svi and from Larry is that this idea that those two things are so close to one another, right? He, he separates himself from his brothers, but potentially he's separating himself from his brothers so that they come together. Right. And, and, but is that, is that unity or is that separation? Um, so I'm going to bring us back to Ezekiel and I knew that there was not going to be an answer here, right? There's no way for us to answer this. Um, for me to say, this is the right way, this is the answer. But this line that Joanna actually brought up for us at the beginning that comes from Ezekiel 37, 26, which I believe is actually one of the last, if not the last, no, it's the second to last verse of this week's Haftarah that says, I will make a covenant of friendship with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. This is God. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will place my sanctuary among them forever. What I hear from that, that many of you have touched on, is that it's not, it's not about whether or not Joseph knew that he was bringing everybody together, but it was about what they did with the moments of unity to be together. 
So just like in this ending where Joseph is putting his brothers in a room together to say, this is what you're together going to do with me as I die. Sure, there's a separation there. But it's a way of putting the onus on the brothers so that they can come together. They have a reason for being together. And this Brit Shalom, right, this, this covenant, they, uh, JPS translates it as friendship, but really it's a, it's a covenant of peace, which is a much bigger word than friendship. A way of being able to provide wholeness, Shalem. That that's on us. That's on people. That's on people to find. That's on people at a funeral to be able to bring together. That's on people in a community to take care of someone who's in the hospital. That's on people to be able to find moments of unity when we are separated. And I think that one of the reasons that this is so, it's stuck in my brain this year. As I mentioned, I love talking about Joseph every year, but the reason that this particular piece of the Joseph story stuck out to me is because we are all in individual boxes right now on this screen, right? We are more separated than ever before. And yet we are actually much more together. We are completely unified because we are choosing to be in this experience, right? We're choosing to be on this screen, in this experience, whether in your homes or wherever you are, we're part of this experience. And when it says, I will place my sanctuary, my mikdashi betocham, right? It brings us back to that idea of uh, build me a sanctuary, right? The, oh Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Um, that if we build something together to be able to be unified in, that that is unity. And that we then have to work to make sure that we do not become separate when we are back together again. When we are able to be back together again, we need to find ways to not separate ourselves. When those shul doors open, we need to come back to shul because the reason that we come to shul is to be together. The idea is unity, to bring one another together, not to separate out. And I think that that's what's happening with Joseph at the end of his story. He realizes that in order for everyone to be together in a moment of obvious separation. If he dies, he's no longer around. That he needs to bring them together in some way that they will stay together, that they will recognize that separation is no longer an option because they've had moments of separation and it didn't do them any good. So these sticks coming together, Joseph's brothers coming together, this is all a reminder that separation is very clear. We can separate much easier than we can come together. But it's those moments of coming together that remind us that that's what's important. So I hope that while we're still in this, maybe even deeper than we've ever been before, that you, that you feel the togetherness, that you feel the community, that you feel this unity, and that we keep that feeling forever, even when we are able to and have the freedom to separate, that we're able to keep those two sticks of ours together um, and find ourselves as one whole nation. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.